Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Is remorse necessary for recovery and healing? Asking as a betrayed spouse whose husband hasn't demonstrated remorse in 18 months in recovery. That doesn't even sound like recovery to me. It sounds like he stopped acting out, but not recovery. Well, it's a good question because there Mm -hmm. are people who are just troubled in ways that they lack remorse. And then there are addicts who, when we're active in our addiction, we don't feel badly about what we've done at all, um, which is more a lack of empathy. But um, so I guess there's two issues here. One is that remorse is not required. Remorse is required for healing. What motivates me in order for people to want to heal from any addiction, they have to be in pain. Nobody moves off the dime unless they're really uncomfortable. That fire has to be hot before you get off that stove. And so if he isn't feeling badly, why enter recovery? unless he's simply trying to you know, cover up and make you feel better or whatever. So to me, a lack of remorse is uh, concerning because that person is not demonstrating the reason that they're motivated for change. Um, remorse is a great motivator. And most of the men who come to seek integrity say, I mean, they may be coming from not the right place or whatever, but like, oh, I can't believe I did this and I hurt my family, I did this and that. They feel bad about it. They may not have empathy, which is, I can only imagine how they are feeling. They may not be able to put themselves in the eyes of the people they hurt, but they can sit back and say, wow, I did bad things and I don't like myself for doing that. But without that, um, it it is concerning because there are um, diagnoses that go along with people who have don't not only lack empathy, but lack remorse. But here's the thing. You're a spouse (laughs) and spouses, you know, you're in your own pain. You're in your own trauma. You have your own, you guys have, God bless you, a, a filter through of unsafety and mis, you know the way you look through the world, and that's understandable. But if I were going to ask a question like, you know, is there something so unhealthy about my spouse that they don't show remorse? I'd want a professional to talk to them about that. And I'd probably want to sit with a really good couples therapist and say, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm not experiencing. I did write a book about this um, called Out of the Doghouse, A Relationship-Saving Guide for Men Caught Cheating. There's also a Christian version that's written with scripture. And both of those books I found at least help men understand the the job that they need to take on if they want the relationship to heal, whether they do it or can do it or, but it is written out for them in doghouse. And, uh, and I think I sell more of that book than anyone, to be honest. Yes, you do. Well, and to that point, we have a work group starting on, oops, I gotta look at my screen. On Seeking Integrity, I was pointing to yours, on the SeekingIntegrity.com site, the work group will start again in um, March. It's a six-week course, 90 minutes each. There's Doghouse Level 1, Doghouse Level 2, which is starting tonight you know, for another group. Um, so that is an opportunity for men to have a live facilitator work through that book and workbook with them. So um, it is very helpful. It's a, it's a useful place to start because they know that they're not alone um so that reduces some of the shame and helps them get in touch with some of the other things but to dr rob's point you know the diagnosis don't go to dr google please go get as he mentioned a qualified professional to help you know if that's really the case um uh that is 
the well, best way to get the right help. So, and what you said, Tammy, and we we didn't pick up on this. I want to go back to it. You said something about eighteen months in recovery, but you weren't sure about recovery. Do you want? Can you say more about that? Well, yeah, recovery is the process, and that's where. You know, so I always say there's abstinence is I'm just not acting out, whatever the form or forms of acting out is. You know, sobriety is okay. I'm, I, you know, I'm, it's a little better. I'm not, I don't really have all the pieces together. Recovery is I'm living very differently. I'm, you know, I'm working on being truly engaged. I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm still learning, but you know, that person is showing up in a very different way. And if you look at someone in recovery and look back at, you know, very early in the stages, you will see that they're, you know, that they have made some progress. It may not be as fast as you want, but, but it's across all areas of our life. It isn't just, I've stopped acting out. I'm, you know, so therefore I'm in recovery. I I don't see it that way. Um, It's really a journey. So. Well, and I wanted to add, you know, what, uh, where are you getting into this information that your spouse is 18 months in recovery? Do they go to therapy? Do they see a CSAT or someone who knows what they're doing? Are they going to support groups? Are they going to 12-step meetings? Do they have a sponsor? You know, are they doing things, something at least, at least every other day or something to, to support their recovery? You know, if someone's going to a meeting a week or, you know, a little bit of couples therapy and they say, well, I'm in recovery. I, and by the way, what is recovery? Is he saying he hasn't had sex or he hasn't acted out or it, it feels like, and this is just my feeling, like this is a spouse who is kind of just taking taking what's being said to her at face value. And trust me, as an addict, I, I will stuff as much into face value. Well, I'm doing, working so hard, I'm learning a lot. And, you know, I really feel like I'm gaining ground, you know, all stuff that doesn't mean anything. So I would want to be really clear on husband, what do you mean by recovery? And what are the things that you're doing regularly to assure me that you really are working on that? Because as Tammy said, I can stop acting out and that will make things better. But if I want to be a good, kind, loving human being who's compassionate and gives of myself, that's really what it's all about beyond simply stopping. Um, So thanks for saying that, Tim. Okay. So the next question, my husband is in recovery, seeing qualified therapist attending group is in out of the doghouse class. He's late sixties and in therapy realized he has, has little emotional capacity and trouble connecting emotionally. He's working on that now, but can he ever really connect to me and feel real empathy? Um, I mean, that's a lot. Um, I don't think that age necessarily has anything to do with it. Um, we have, it always surprises me, and there's probably some there right now. We have men are coming to treat, residential treatment. They're 66, they're 70. So um, obviously there's enough love on both sides for people to believe that at any age, you know, and I really... I have seen people wake up out of a long, long sleep and say, oh, my God, this is who I am. This is, you know, so I don't think just to say it, I I don't think his age would be a reason why he wouldn't be able to do that. And second of all, every what you said, and he he has little emotional capacity, trouble connecting emotionally. Okay, that is every sex act I have ever met. You can put us all in a room. And whatever history we have, whatever problem we have, it all comes down to it's very hard for us to connect. We're very fearful of intimacy. It's easier to be intimate with a stranger than it is to open up to someone we care about. And, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. I could give you some of the reasons, um, but I want to actually do more questions tonight than answer um, because we never always get to all the people we have. But in any case, you know, I, 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 um, I, 
uh, I was listening about couples work because he is not going to be able, you or as a couple are not going to make these motions while he's going to therapy. There's something you're going to have to do yourselves. And as a matter of fact, Tammy, PACT therapy, Dr. Patkins' work, uh, P-A-C-T, um, he, he does some really good work about couples really finding each other's rhythms and learning how to listen in ways that they feel. And um, I think he does really good work if you're looking for a packed therapist, right, Tammy? T-A-M-I at Seeking Integrity. She knows, we know all the good ones. But yeah, I, I don't think that, um, I think what he's describing is very appropriate for someone, whether he was 30 or 80, who's really just realizing what sex addiction has meant. Because sex addiction is all about disconnection. Addiction is all about disconnection. And it's purposeful disconnection, unconsciously, because getting close to someone is probably going to hurt us like it might have hurt us when we were younger there's a part of us that thinks about that and but we want to be close we long to be close so we come this way and then we run away and we go closer we it's uh it's our issue so you're right on it and i'm hopeful because he's doing a lot right i would encourage you to consider the couples healing from betrayal work group that starts march 3rd and Part of it is grieving losses together, hearing the connection of that. There's communication to and there's a lot of really good information in that six-week course. And it could be a really good starting point. I do think getting a great couples therapist would be an option too. So there's lots of support, but but I'm actually encouraged that he's doing the work. Um, like that, that's hopeful. I get lots of them where you know he's seeing a therapist at, or he won't. I love this one. No, I don't. I hate it. Um, he won't do blah, 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 but you know, uh, he's in recovery. Um, no, he's not. So, okay. Well, Next and question. I, just one more Go thing ahead. about this question. I'm sorry. They're all so good. Is that, mm -hmm. um, I, it doesn't say, I don't think how long he's been working on this mm -hmm. uh, unless you see that. And I don't tell me, mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm going to be very different kind of show different kind of empathy and remorse at three months into recovery than I am at six. And I can tell you at 25 years in recovery, I am a very, different, more compassionate, more engaged, do think ahead for the most part about what other people might feel. But, you know, it is a, it's a long-term proposition and it just doesn't happen because someone has six weeks of recovery. And Tammy and I hear all the time, you know, what I said earlier, which is, well, they're sober, but they're still not very nice to me. And it's like, well, being sober can happen fairly quickly, but becoming a better person takes time. Uh, the couples piece is, what are your expectations? You know, if you're a, an emotionally love-starved partner and all of a sudden this person says, I'm working on change, I, I would say, finally, I'm going to get something I've wanted for a long time, but they may only be able to give this much and you may be able to say, I'm ready for this. And so, again, I think the couples work is really uh, a good place to, to do this. Okay. Next question. My essay husband has been sober and in good recovery for 18 months. No more abusive behaviors. That's fantastic. But I find I can't get past the ache over the loss of my marriage and lovely family life. Um, he acted out for 18 or 15 years with friends of mine oh, all over our house and property on couples trips, on vacations with me, etc. I'm having trouble pretending that it all never happened, is looking past or ignoring the treachery. When, when they call healing, my brain is firmly stuck on the fact that no matter how good his recovery, this is still a person who is capable of horrific acts. This person has a CSAT, has done EMDR, have no terrible traumas from my youth or family of origin. Any advice to help me move forward? Well, I, I, the first thing I want to say is you're right. It is true. <laughs> what you just said 
is my brain is firmly stuck on the fact that no matter how good is recovery, this is still a person who's capable of horrific acts. That's true. And in fact, with the men that I work with at Seeking Integrity, one of the things that's important to me is I don't ever want to, when I say to someone, um, how are you feeling about leaving and how do you think you're going to do in recovery? And they say, oh, great. I really got this. I'm on top of this. You know, I really, um, I worry about them because they're out of touch with how bad it can be and what they have done and how horrible it was and how much it hurt people. The people who leave treatment and say, I, I hope I can do this. I'm going to do my best and with a lot of connection and support. And I, it's going to take me a long time to grieve what I've done to my relationship. That's the person that I have, I'm more hopeful for. So, but we're talking about this other person, him, and I'm more concerned about you. Um, Tammy groaned when she heard it. I think this is one of the most difficult things I hear from spouses is in my house, in my bed, in my car, you know, and I certainly have worked with people who uh, said, I don't want to live here in this house anymore. And I don't want to, and I want a new bed. And, you know, and I think those kinds of, if you can empower yourself to take some choices, not be focused on, well, is he in recovery and is he doing well? And can I let down my guard? But what are you doing to take hold of what will make you feel safe and holding on to it? Because I've heard spouses say, I do not want to live in this house anymore. And, you know, the addict will find a way to, well, but why are you making such a big deal? I mean, it's not the house. We could fumigate the house, you know, whatever. No, this is what you feel. And this is, imp and this is what you need. And so that's part of what I would do is look at what will make me feel safer and better just on my own, and then in relationship to this person, um, I would concretize it. As Alfred with also with the last person about empathy and what do you really mean? What do you really want? What are you not getting? I mean, that's what's in out of the doghouse is you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. Um, and I'll say one more thing that also is in the doghouse is that I say to every man in there, you do not have to stay in this relationship. You do not have to stay with this man or woman. You do not have to, well, doghouse is about husbands. You don't have to stay with her. You don't have to say you can do, you can go act out. You can find other people. But if you want to stay in this relationship, then you're going to have to put your ego aside and do what makes them feel safe. So I would look to what makes you feel safe and comfortable. Well, you'll never be comfortable. By the way, you'll never forget this. You will never forget the naive sense which we should all have about our most meaningful relationships that that person would never go out the door and knowingly do something that will hurt me that's a naive trust i mean what we want in our spouses is to think well they may have a bad day they may do something whatever but they wouldn't knowingly make a decision about doing something that they know would hurt me and do it anyway once you know that you can't unknow that and so it is a different relationship. You won't look at this person again and say, you know, um, I can try, I, they'll never betray me. They'll never let me down. You know, a lot of you say, I, I thought I had a great relationship. This was the last person I, well, now you know, and they're right next to you. And so it is harder to regrow a relationship when you look at them one day and you feel the warmth and love and you look at the other day and you say, I can't trust this person. And I think that is a part of the healing journey. However, I'd have a camera <laughs> in the house, just to say it, to make sure that um, I'd want to see who's coming and who's going. And I'd want to, because I, uh, so I'll just be really honest and I'll stop. Someone who's done this level of acting out, um, and this is, by the way, very incestuous behavior, because it is in your house, it is with friends that you know, it is with other couples who were on a trip. It was, you know, people who do it, it 
do all this behavior in and around their home are very different than the people who only see anonymous people and they only do it when they're out of town. And it actually points out to me some of their damage from early in life. And what I'm looking at here is pretty damaged. Um, imagine what it would take for someone to say, I'm just going to get in the bed that my spouse and I slept in for 12 years, and I'm going to screw someone else and hope they don't leave an, an earring. You know, I mean, who thinks that way except somebody who's really, really troubled? Um, I've had a lot of sex with a lot of people, but I didn't get anyone else's marital bed to do it. So there's a lot of, un there's just stuff here. And, you know, I don't know how much therapy, how much treatment um, he's getting outside of the good recovery, seeing a CSAT. I have a CSAT. This person has a CSAT, yeah. But, Who is yeah. he seeing? Because this is a... Yeah, yeah. This and, and you know what? I mean, like, it's all bad. But when it's with friends, because that's the double betrayal that this friend... So both of them conspired and did this. And that that just breaks my heart for you because that is, you know, the extra layer. I mean, bad enough that they bring it in the house, but extra when it's someone you know that's supposed to be in your world and to be in your, you know, be your friend and be supportive. Family members, I hate it when it's, you know, sister-in-law or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just really problematic. So I hope you are finding really good support for you. But yeah, the grieving the loss uh, and the betrayals, it's not a betrayal, it's betrayals. Right. And um, that that's going to be challenging. So you, you're, you're getting help, you're doing the right things, but it also is time. So Debbie McRae did a, a grief webinar last Friday, part one, there'll be part two in a couple of weeks, but um, the, the recording, free, yes, right? the recording is up on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. Any of the previously recorded webinars are posted there under the resource tab. I would encourage you to, yeah, and she had some very good specific things, you know, but about the grieving process and, and grieving is unfortunately where you're at with grieving losses of memories of trips and all of that. So we have bunches of questions. So let me just say one more thing about this. You know, I know I just want to pull out a couple of words real quick. My brain is firmly stuck on the fact. And then you say any advice to help me move forward. I don't think you should push yourself to move forward. I think this is a really one of the worst stories we hear on a whole bunch of levels. By the way, when could you and another, and another couple ever go to dinner without your thinking, I wonder, I wonder. I mean, your whole world has been poisoned. So I would give yourself permission to not call it be stuck, but more, you know, I haven't, I'm not ready to move on yet. And I think if you put a different frame around that, have some kindness to yourself. This is really awful stuff. So anyway, I'm ready for those questions. Okay. Do you have any tips recommendations for sex porn and fantasy addict with hyperplantasia. Sounds like something they do at Disneyland. Yeah, it does. Okay. I'm in intensive outpatient therapy, 12 step many times per week, et cetera. Hypophantasia. Do you know what that? I'm supposed to know what that is because I'm the professional, right? Yeah. Um, well, let's look it up. I'll be right with you. Let me. Okay. Uh, I but will. I have a few. Uh, Okay, spell it for me, Tammy. H-Y-P-E-R. Hyper, yeah. Huh? Hyper what? H-Y-P-E-R-P-H-A-N-T-A-S-I-A. Okay, everyone's going to get to know what this is. It's a condition of having an extremely vivid uh, memory. So this oh. is someone who can literally hold on. And I've heard about this, you know, that for example, I'll say this to you, Tammy, the person who struggles with porn 
in compulsive masturbation, we can often often say turn off the porn and the masturbation is probably going to slow down or whatever. But this is someone who it doesn't matter what they're doing. They have it running. The porn is running in their head. And so they can see it. Um, you know, I just think two things. Number one, are you masturbating to that or are you just letting the thoughts go through? Because, you know, you may see the picture, you may see the image, you may see the film play out. Um, by the way, just as a therapist, I would say, what is at the end of that? <laughs> you know, we tend to just look at the picture, but what is on the other side of it? What's at the end of the film? Um, but in any case, I would not be masturbating to this. And I would also have some level of acceptance, which is I've been hypersexual for a very long time, and I have used my brain in this way. And over time, it will dissipate, but not, you know, no offense, but it sounds like an addict. <laughs> I want to feel better now. You're in intensive therapy and many 12-step meetings a week to me that means you're you know in the first 18 months or something like that it's a little too soon i think for you to have that expectation of yourself that it's just going to go away and things you know the funny thing about the brain you less you engage something the less you engage something the less uh you you long for it you know it's like people say they drink you know after stopping for a year they don't have the same craving that they did because they their brain is not saying every time oh the solution is oh the solution is so you know i would give your brain some time to heal and be a little more kind to yourself um gosh i wish i had hyper fan i could probably remember a lot more if i had that um so there's nothing wrong with you it's just how you've been living now tammy is there anything for you no for I, we learned I a new word we did. And I think it's one of those, like you said, you know, you're, you're doing the right things. And the more you shift the focus to, you know, what's in your outer circle, you know, and I've shared this before. I like to go for hikes. I like to, I mean, what I'm doing things that get me connected to other people and to nature and all of those things. And that keeps, you know, th that's a good thing for my brain. So, so, and I love 12 step, don't get me wrong. So 12 step is great, but also do things that are non you know, recovery specifically uh, related yeah. that are meaningful to your life. You know, that um, I signed up for a great course that's about geographical wonders of the world because I thought, I want to learn more about that. Fascinating. Well, to me, but, you know, it was just one of those where, like, it's completely not recovery related, but it was really interesting for me. But it's completely recovery related because nobody gets sober, as they say, and to have a miserable, boring life. I mean, you may not have fun the way you used to have it, but go ahead, Tam, you were going to say. No, I just, I think that that's, so find things that are meaningful to you, you know, I and take fun. up pottery, you know, whatever, whatever it is. So. I love pottery. Oh, I do too. I want to do that. Sometime when we're do, together, yeah. we'll go to paint a pot. So, okay. Okay. Um, that's, essay okay. That's, with that's over a year and a half of recovery, have a question regarding contacting formal affair, a former affair partner. My spouse and I conducted a formal disclosure in June of last year, prior to the disclosure of a former affair partner had reached out wanting to get coffee. I immediately blocked her and erased her from social media. My spouse was informed uh, with all of my other acting out history. The issue now is that she seems unable to let go of why the affair partner had reached back out to me since it was a couple years ago. My spouse suspects that one of her two children might've been mine. And that is why she's trying to contact me. My spouse feels that there might be some undisclosed information that could still come up. After speaking with our CSATs, they both advised us at the time of disclosure to not contact her or any former affair partner as one of our boundaries eight 
months later, my spouse is still fixated on finding out what she wanted. She's unable to move on until she knows that the child is not mine. Do we agree to violate the boundary? Wow. I'm going to ask you to start with that. I'm going to sift through because there's so many questions. Um, well, I, 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 both of us advise us at the time of disclosure not to contact her. I would agree that for yeah. him. Eight months later, my spouse is still fixing out, fixing it in what she wanted. I mean, that sounds like any addict I've ever met. What I'm impressed with is you know that because if he or she is telling you, if someone's saying to you, I'm obsessing about this, that means they're being honest. No, the partner <laughs> is obsessed about. Oh, yeah, you've got it. Of yeah, course. No. Of yeah, course. Yeah, yes. So to me, it's like she's fixated. What What is it she's looking for? And and I'm sorry, but how sad that like this incident and stuff that happened years ago, like you're like you guys are stuck because you are unable to move forward. Eddie Caparucci did a really good um, webinar in December, I think it was. Uh, so on the sex and relationship healing.com, check that one out, but it was about partners who kind of get stuck. And so um, like oh. people often are like, why, 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 why like this? Why was she reaching out? And mm -hmm. I think the better question is how, how do we, the two of you, your, you and your wife move forward and not have the affair partner be the third person in your relationship, which is kind of what it feels like to me right now. You've had two professionals that know you well that are saying, don't do this. And I would also say what, like play out every scenario, every single scenario of like what the affair partner, maybe she just, you know, she was lonely and wanted to reach out. You, you know, like what, what, what will come of that, whatever the thing is. So, so that was, that's my thoughts. What are yours? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I just wrote down the word detective work because on some level, you know, all spouses want to look at the phone bills, want to look at the cell, you know, want to look at all our social media. I mean, you want to know what's going on. And uh, what the addicts I work with all the time think that you're doing that so that you can find the thing that is going to, you know, prove them wrong. And my experience is you're actually doing it for safety, that you look through all that stuff so that you could be, you can have a sense of control. Like, what do I not know? I need to know so I can feel safe. What's wrong with that? Very pro-dependent. Um, but but what I hear is, how do I say this? It's not unusual for, in my experience, for a spouse to say, if you just tell me this one thing, I'm, that's it. I'm not going to ask more questions. I'm going to feel better. And then the minute you answer, there's like, well, but there's this one more thing I want to know. And this feels a little bit like another thing that if I knew this then, and, you know, I, I think you need to follow the advice you're paying for. And um, how, what Tammy said about grief I think watching that grief seminar, some of, I want to say this in a nice way possible, none of your relationships are going to be the way they were. None of them. You're never going to look or feel about this person the way you did. Now, it may grow into a more more connected, more open, but that sense of um, that the vows meant something, that we really weren't going to ever hurt each other, I mean, that's gone. And the sense of, uh, I will never be surprised by what they're out there doing. That's gone too. So it's a very different kind of relationship. And I think a lot of spouses say, well, when is it going to get back to, I don't want to back down, but when is it going to not only get back to what it was, but be better? 
And I don't know that it'll ever go back to where it was. Um, and I don't know what better looks like. Uh, it's different for everybody. So did I do that right, Tammy? <laughs> yeah, no, but it, like, I, I just feel you guys are doing this process. You've gone through disclosure. You, you know, you're trying to build a foundation to move forward and you appropriately apparently blocked the person and you know like you didn't engage and go hey what do you want you know so so for your spouse your betrayed partner to get uh so single focused on the affair partner um uh, is challenging i hope your um partner is leaning into her csat and doing work on the betrayal trauma but but to me it really is how do we move forward not stay stuck in the past from years ago so and, and the particular thing about the child you know like does she have a child and do you know that's another sort of level of fear like what if they're still talking what if she has a child you know it's what kind of the what ifs that part of the detective work and you know i i don't think you could you can't reassure somebody in those circumstances you can't make them feel better they are where they are and I, by the way that's one thing i would say is stop trying you know well it was this it wasn't really that and there's no you know just I'm sorry, it must hurt so much, and I can't believe that happened, and I hope you'll find a way to forgive me, and then you just move on, um, because you can't make this better, and you don't have any new information, and it, it makes you look more guilty if you keep apologizing and ask, asking for forgiveness and all that, so very difficult. These are all mm -hmm. difficult. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.